Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello there, everyone, and welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Pullett, and I'm an editor here at HowStuffWorks.com, and sitting across from me, as usual, though they may not want you to notice it, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. Hey there. Why are we so quiet today? Well, that would be because we're finally going to tackle that topic that we said we were going to tackle months ago, and then everyone wrote in and asked us to keep doing not Cantanas. Don't even go there. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you know me too well. We got one request for to do an episode on Cantanas like eight months ago, and we still haven't done that one. Sorry. No, this is the one that lots of people have asked us to do. We are, of course, talking about tech conspiracy theories. And now, uh, before we get into that, though. <laughs> okay. I wanted to talk about something that has nothing to do with conspiracy theories at all. Okay. This, this, there's no conspiracy theory behind this. Of course there isn't. I'm going to ask you That's a what question, they want though. you to believe. What what is your opinion about pumpkins? What is my opinion about pumpkins? Yeah. Um they're orange 
and they love flying through the air. I agree. Pumpkins do love flying through the air. Now, if you were someone who were interested in seeing pumpkins fly through the air at great velocity and distance, what would you do? Uh, I'd, I'd actually, I wouldn't do it myself. I would have somebody else do it and I would watch it. Right. But I mean, I'm saying like, if you want to watch that, I mean, what opportunity is there? Uh, that would be the opportunity to tune into the Science Channel on November 26th. That's right, because the road to Punkin' Chunkin', followed by Punkin' Chunkin' itself, starting at 8 p.m., will be on the air on the Science Channel on November the 26th. And you can watch crazy individuals who have built insanely huge machines designed to do one thing and one thing only, and that is to chunk a pumpkin. Yep. It's, uh, it's pretty massive, I gotta say. Yeah. Flying fruit. No conspiracy there. No, no conspiracy. But we can well, talk conspiracy about conspiracy to do chunk pumpkins. Well, that's true, I suppose. So we can talk a little bit about some actual conspiracy theories that relate back to technology. Okay. I was going to start with our friend. Okay. Nikola Tesla. Oh, him. Yes, we talked about this once before in an earlier podcast about wireless power. That that we did. And so I just thought I would uh, kind of touch base on that again. Uh, sorry, Nate Langson, if you're listening. I know he hates that phrase. So that's okay. We're we're going to take on the low hanging fruit. Yes, we and raise any red flags we see. Right. I'm hoping for some synergy. So Tesla, he came up with this idea for. Uh, transmitting electricity without wires using a, an enormous tower. He actually had a couple different ideas on how to do this. One of them involved firing electricity up into the ionosphere, mm-hmm. which he yeah. thought, thought was more conductive than any other part of the atmosphere, and then somehow transmitting electricity throughout the globe that way, which would mean you'd have to have some sort of antenna that could reach up there and, and bring the electricity back down. Right. The other idea he had was using the Earth itself as a way to send electricity through uh, some sort of resonating kind of technology that, that a lot of people have tried to explain since then, but no one's really got a good handle on it. And some of that may be due to the fact that Tesla was years ahead of his time, and some of it may be due to the fact that Tesla also appears to have kind of gone crazy toward the end of his life, for, yeah. good, for good reason. He, he had a tortured existence toward the end of his life. Um yeah, his his mind worked unusually, even when he was understandable. It was sort of hard to get. Yeah, but he he definitely had revolutionary ideas that oh, have yeah. since come to fruition. But they were just they were just too revolutionary for the time that he lived in. Mm-hmm. But one one of these was this idea of of broadcasting electricity wirelessly. Now he had published an article that kind of was all over the place. But one of the things it talked about was creating a wireless communication system. Mm-hmm. So this is before radio. This is before any of that has really taken place. Marconi has not uh, made the big splash with radio yet. So one of the people who read this article and was interested was J.P. Morgan. Ah, uh, yes, the uh, the famous American financier. Right, right. He was uh, Mr. Moneybags, really. And uh, so... Yeah, actually, uh, Mr. Monopoly yes. is, is sort of drawn Based to resemble him. Morgan, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah uh, apparently, his favorite piece was the boot. Anyway, <laughs> he he actually agreed to, to invest $150,000 in Tesla's idea. Which now, was not chicken feet at the time. It not sounds like le- a little money now, but yeah. yeah, it was a lot then. That's a lot then. Now, granted, uh, some experts believe that the amount of money Tesla would have needed to complete his 
uh, project would have actually been closer to a million dollars even back then. Mm-hmm. So it was still a drop in the proverbial bucket. But Tesla was eager to get on this project and he didn't care that it was just part of what he would need. He, he wanted to get started and hoped that he could continue to raise money throughout the project. So he starts building this. And the conspiracy theory here is that Morgan got wind that the project was not to build a wireless communication network, but rather to create a way of distributing electricity without the use of wires, which would essentially mean that people could get electricity for free. Yeah. And this is, uh, this is the, the famous Wardenclyffe Tower in Shoreham, Long Island. Exactly. Which, which did actually come to fruition. I mean, there was, Mostly. there was, there was one. Yes. Something was built. Yes. Uh, part of it is still there. I think it's about to get torn down, in fact. Yeah. But, but most the, of it was taken apart in 1917. Yes, yes. So the conspiracy theorists say that what happened was Morgan heard that there was going to be this free energy system. And in order to prevent it so that he would not uh, see a, um, a dip in profits from any kind of electricity delivery systems, uh, he specifically pulled funding and essentially sabotaged the the project by not paying for it. Gasp. Um, however, it appears that, that it's not quite that sinister. Mm. It still doesn't paint Morgan in a very nice light, but it's, you know, part of it is that Tesla was not being upfront about what his project was about in the first place. Well, yeah, that's true. So, and people who uh, are lending you money are generally interested in knowing exactly what you're going to do with yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the fault is not wholly upon Morgan in this case. What appears to actually have happened is that while this project was uh, under construction, mm-hmm. Mar- Marconi successfully was able to transmit the letter S transatlantically mm-hmm. and w- was able to prove that his system of wireless communication worked and it was relatively cheap. So now Morgan is looking at his project that he's funding, this $150,000 project, and saying, well, if there's a reliable and cheap way to to transmit information, mm-hmm. why am I pouring money into this very expensive and so and so far unproven method? And that is why he cut the funds to Tesla's project. It had nothing to do with uh, worrying that he was going to go bankrupt because suddenly he had no way of making money out of delivering electricity. Right. So that's that's one conspiracy theory more or less debunked. Again, there was definitely a disagreement between these two gentlemen. Um but I think it was partly due to Tesla not being completely honest about what his project was for. And also Morgan was, you know, he just wasn't willing to, to, to see if the, the, this project would pay off in the future. So, right. but that's a good one to start with. Now, um, did you have any you wanted to, to bring up specifically or shall I move on to the next one? Well, I was thinking maybe since we've been talking about energy mm-hmm. and people, uh, possibly conspiring to prevent a, a, uh, more efficient means of, uh, using energy that maybe we would stick with that theme for a moment. Okay. Since, uh, we were going to talk about the, uh, the auto companies. Ah, uh, yes. And basically how they want to squash other forms of, uh, combust, well, other forms of propulsion in favor of the internal combustion engine that yes, runs on gasoline. powered engines. Or diesel. Or diesel. Uh, petroleum based. Rather than, right. than, than, than electric cars so or really hydrogen getting, power cars. We're really getting down to the oil companies here. There are a lot of conspiracy theories out there that oil companies have conspired to, to essentially squash any project that would have created an affordable and efficient electric vehicle. Uh, 
there's a lot of evidence out there that kind of suggests that, you know, some projects that would have brought an electric vehicle to market uh, earlier than we've seen were, in fact, kind of squashed. But whether that was because the oil companies were coming in and, and throwing their weight around or whether it was because other considerations had to pop up, that's still that's still under debate. For one thing, let's say that we did put electric vehicles out there earlier. Mm-hmm. You have to have some sort of infrastructure to support that. Well, there were electric vehicles earlier, much well, earlier. Yeah. And in fact, Henry Ford was not a big fan of using gasoline at all. No. Um, well, my point being that to switch over to an all-electric system mm-hmm. needs more than just putting electric cars on the market for people to buy. Right. They need a place to plug the things in to make sure they remain charged so that or to have some sort of stations where they can get their uh, the battery or whatever it is that is going to provide the electrical power mm-hmm. to keep the car running. Uh, that infrastructure costs money. Well, see, uh, the people at Honda probably agree with you because I, one of the conspiracies I saw around there, one of the theories, conspiracy theories around this that I saw was that some people think that Honda, you know, having their FCX and then later the Clarity hydrogen powered cars, they had a, a home fueling station mm-hmm. that uh, would basically convert uh, natural gas to hydrogen that could be used in the cars. And they said, well, they've had this technology for years and Honda is suppressing it. Um, the thing is, you know, Honda says, well, you need the infrastructure away from your home because what happens if you run out of fuel when you're away from home? Right. So, uh, you know, but yeah. the conspiracy theorists who, who think Honda is hiding something don't necessarily yeah. agree with that. A vehicle doesn't do you much good if you can only travel five to ten miles away, you know, and, well, you, and then you're stuck. Yeah, I mean, you couldn't um, go uh, even even on, a, on, you know, you say, OK, well, a tank of hydrogen could get me around town for a week. Well, what happens if you, you know, say, drive to your in-laws house and, well, they don't have a hydrogen fueling station and there's right. no fueling station around. Exactly. Then you're stuck. And that's that's the that's the biggest Obstacle, I think, to really adopting a new and efficient and uh, and and green um, strategy as far as transportation goes, it's that the initial investment, that upfront investment in building the infrastructure necessary to support that kind of of uh, endeavor is phenomenally expensive. Not only that, but you would still have to continue to support the gasoline industry mm-hmm. until you were able to make a full transition over to whatever your alternative fuel was. You couldn't just make the switch overnight because too many people are driving gasoline powered cars. What are they going to do? Mm-hmm. You know, you can't just necessarily like, uh, unless the government does some weird subsidized thing where you can trade in your gas vehicle for an electric vehicle and that's it. Uh, it just wouldn't work. And I can't imagine how expensive a program like that would be. I mean, you think about how many cars are on the road just in the United States alone, yeah, that kind of program would be insanely expensive. I think peak oil is also going to force the petroleum companies to rethink their strategy. So I think it's in their best interest to find other types of uh, fuels. Now, I mean, honestly, there, as with all of these, there may actually be something to these conspiracy theories. But right. uh, you know, it doesn't. It, to this one, to me, doesn't really make a lot of sense. I, I think the the most sense the most sense I can make of it is that it. From a business standpoint, it really didn't make sense to to invest in these other technologies because it just – again, building out that infrastructure was so expensive mm-hmm. that until you get to the point where you absolutely have to do it, 
you don't really want to take that expense. Now, it kind of stinks that we have to wait till we get that far because it means that you're depending on foreign oil. You're also polluting the environment. There are a lot yep. of really negative things. But at the same time, I mean, the the world runs on money. It's It's a sad fact. You cannot get around that. And whereas we would love to think that these big companies would – turn an altruistic leaf and do what's right for the rest of humanity, mm-hmm. unless every single person is willing to do that, I don't think you can really cast stones. Right. Um, right. Now, granted, some of these companies act in a much more uh, irresponsible manner than others. And for that, they should be derided and you know insulted or whatever. But yeah, I, I don't think it's necessarily as... I don't think it's a group of old men in a smoky room chuckling evilly to themselves as they squash yet another electric vehicle design. No, they're, they they make them smoke outside now. That's true. They're still in the room, but you know they go take a break every once in a while. On a related note, there's the <laughs> conspiracy theory of the oil companies getting together to uh, to dismantle the electric cable car uh, systems in various. Uh, cities in the United States Uh, because a lot of cities had electric cable cars and then they started to kind of go away and they were replaced by buses. So there's a a theory out there that oil companies kind of got together and bought up a lot of these cable cars in order to run them out of business and create a monopoly. Now, there's some truth to this. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of companies that did get together in order to make a monopoly so that they would be the one and only provider of the various parts you would need to replace the buses. Yeah. But on the flip side of that coin, by the time a lot of these cable company, cable car companies started to go out of business, it was because they had rising costs and not enough revenue. It wasn't that they were being run out of business. It was just that they were becoming obsolete. They were the, a lot of these were having problems with maintenance. You know, cars were falling apart and there were no longer companies that actually made the parts that originally went into these these systems. This sounds familiar to those of us who live in Atlanta. Yep. Um, but so I, it doesn't look like to me that the, the oil companies really had to do that much to run cable. Like If they did have any, anything to do with it, they didn't have to work hard. It was just a matter of time before these companies went away already just based upon how much they were in the hole. Yeah. So, yeah. but, um, but that's another one of those common energy things. I've got another one for okay. energy. Cold fusion. Ah, yes. So fusion, we're talking about a nuclear process where you fuse two nucleuses together. Turns out that's hard to do. Yeah. I mean, it requires a lot, uh, a whole lot of heat. Yeah. A lot of energy because what you're talking about is you've got a nucleus, you know, it's, it's protons and neutrons. So, Neutrons carry no charge. Protons carry a positive charge. If you take two positively charged anythings and put them next to each other, they repel one another because like repels like. Correct? Right. So positive repels are positive. In order to fuse two nucleuses together, you have to, you have to essentially put in enough energy to break down that, that, uh, effect. And that's a lot of energy. That's the problem with fusion. That's why fusion is, is looked at as, uh, a difficult problem to solve if you want to use it to get energy out because you have to put so much energy into it mm-hmm. that it doesn't make sense as far as an, a source of energy. Cold fusion is a theory or a, a, a process by which you would be able to fuse two atoms together 
without pouring all this energy into it. And therefore, it could theoretically be a source of practically endless energy. Right. And it sounds it, great. <laughs> yeah, it would be, it would be, when they say cold fusion, they don't mean cold like in, you know, the inside of, uh, the Large Hadron Collider, but oh, cold, that's, that's very, very cold. That's almost as cold as the deepest depths of space. Uh, now this is, this is room temperature we're talking yeah, about. So yeah. cold is relative in these, in right. these things. But cold, I mean, cold being that it's not taking millions of degrees of Celsius of heat in order to do this. Right. And you also wouldn't necessarily need fancy equipment. You could, uh, by the process of cold fusion, the idea is that you would use existing lab equipment right. at, at working at room temperature to do this, which is, you know, like really? Right. Seriously? We could do that? Yeah. A pair of scientists back in the, uh, I think it was 1989. March 23rd, 1989 is when they made their announcement. Hey, look at that. Martin Fleischman and Stanley Pons. And, uh, they, they announced that they had successfully achieved cold fusion. They, they found in their experiment that, um, the experiment generated some heat that they could not otherwise explain. Mm -hmm. And there were also some other byproducts that they could not otherwise explain unless some sort of fusion had occurred. Mm -hmm. Uh, here's the problem. Uh, no one's really been able to replicate this experiment and get exactly the same results that they got without having some other problem pop up where it kind of explains away the, the result, mm -hmm. like a faulty piece of equipment, for example, uh, like a faulty thermometer. It doesn't measure the temperature correctly, and therefore you think you've got unexplained heat phenomena, and it turns out you don't. Right. Um, so – even though there are a lot of people out there, a lot of different scientists still working on cold fusion, the scientific community as a whole still regards cold fusion as essentially an impossibility. Right. Um, or at least it's unproven. They say it's an extraordinary claim, and so far there is no extraordinary proof to back it up. Yeah, so, as a matter of fact, uh, Pons and Fleischmann's uh, theories, you know, once they made them public, basically they were pounced upon by an army of their peers, Yeah. Uh, all of whom basically uh, – Ridiculed might not be a strong word to use in this case. Yeah. Uh, yeah the, the, that, the criticism was not, uh, kind. Now scientists yeah. and other cold fusion enthusiasts who all subscribe to the whole cold fusion theory mm -hmm. or, or process argue that the scientific community is now suppressing anything that has to do with cold fusion, um, out of arrogance or, uh, a refusal to look at evidence, however you want to define it. But essentially what they're saying is that their voices are being shut out by the scientific community at large, even though they claim that they have uh, uh, at least some fairly convincing evidence to prove that it works. Uh, the scientific community, on the other hand, says everything that's been presented so far doesn't meet the the burden of proof necessary to show that cold fusion actually does work. Mm -hmm. So you've got these two sides going back and forth. Uh, of course the scientific community the 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 supporters point out they're they're the ones with the power. They're the ones who who choose what uh papers get published in in peer reviewed journals. Yeah. And what information essentially gets out to the media. Although trust me, the media is all about publishing weird wacky scientific explanations if if the media thought that they could get away with talking about some sort of free energy source i can pretty much guarantee you it would be all over the place even if there were there was not a shred of proof yeah 
Yeah. It's just a sad fact. Well, you know, uh, anybody who's watched the movie uh, Back to the Future knows that in the future, we'll all have a Mr. Fusion machine on the back of our cars into which we can throw our junk and it will turn into a miraculous propulsion system. When, in fact, of course, it's just a coffee grinder. What an amazing segue. Really? Yes, because now we can talk about hoverboards. Ah, yes. Well, they really exist, right? Well, according to the people who watch Back to the Future 2 who have lots of wishful thinking, yes. According to reality, no. Well, you know, even uh, even Bob Zemeckis was, was saying that they were real. Uh, so if you don't know what we're talking about, first of all, Get some culture, people. Rent the Back to the Future trilogy. Oh, actually, you know, the second one is really the worst one of the trilogy. It's terrible. It depends on how you look at it, but that's... <laughs> right. We like, can argue about whether I guess three I, is worse than two, I guess if, and that's are not you, really... Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Three was awesome. It if was a Western. You say, mm, it was a Western and therefore was awesome. Just that, like Sundown was a Western vampire movie and therefore is awesome. Okay, we need to stop talking about movies and get back... To the future. I mean, well, that's back still to the future too. So anyway, if you remember your Back to the Future too, there's uh, there uh, there's a scene where Marty McFly grabs hold of a hoverboard, a skateboard like device that hovers above the ground seemingly by magic, and it had the brand name Mattel on it, and he floats around and the bad guys chase him and blah 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 blah. Basically, After, they recreated the skateboard scene from the first movie. Yes, except this time everyone's floating, and. Uh, after the movie came out, there were people who were saying, hey, you know what? There really are hoverboards. They're real. And you can buy one if it weren't for the fact that parents were so freaked out by it that they had banded together and demanded that the the these devices not go on sale because they would be too dangerous for children to have. That or the other story, which went that Mattel did some intensive testing and uh, somebody died horribly in a nasty accident. Yeah. Either way um, – Neither of those are true. Uh, the fact that Mattel was on the name on, of that hoverboard had nothing to do with the fact that, you know, it, it didn't support the fact any, any sort of, any sort of claim that the hoverboard was an actual product. Because I don't know if you've seen the movie or not. Product placement was rather rampant in Back <laughs> to the Future 2. I'm thinking of Pepsi and Tab and, you know, like, there were tons and tons of different products mentioned in that series. And so just because something is mentioned does not make it real. No. Uh, it was, it, it was what Snopes.com referred to as wishful thinking legend. Yeah. That, yeah. you know, people want there to be a hoverboard. So therefore there must be a hoverboard. And, uh, that's not the way reality works, unfortunately. Snopes also seems to feel that, uh, the reason that, uh, Bob Zemeckis actually started saying there were hoverboards was because he got tired of fielding questions about it. So he said, yeah, you know what? Sure thing. There are real hoverboards. Yeah. I, I once saw Simon Pegg say something similar when someone asked him a, an annoying question of whether or not he would attend Dragon Con. He says, look, there's only one way we can get we can answer this question and get past it. Yes, we'll come to Dragon Con. Of course, he said, yes, we'll come to Dragon Con, meaning, no, we're not coming to Dragon Con. <laughs> but it was just a Stop getting that question. Yeah. Um, now, there are actually are hoverboards, but they don't look anything like this. The they're more like the they're more like regular hovercraft the size of a skateboard. You know, they have the skirt and you hover, you know, like an inch, two inches off the ground. So it's using air. So, yeah, it's using air. It's and not, it's not some not, weird magnetic field. No. And you can't, you know, fly through the air and do 
crazy stunts on it, you would basically be, you know, floating an inch above the ground, probably at a fairly low rate of speed. Right. I would, until you I would fell probably, off. I was about to say, I would probably be falling off because that's, I have no sense of dexterity on something like that. But if you want to, you know, pull a Stalefish McTwist on it, not going to happen. I got another segue for you. Okay. So we're talking about the future. We are? Oh, yes. Yes, we were. And time travel. Oh. One uh-huh. of our other conspiracy theories has something to do with time travel. Does it really? Yes. We're talking about the Large Hadron Collider. And this is the weirdest conspiracy theory, in my opinion, because it involves a conspiracy of nature against man. That, yeah, it's a completely non-sentient thing stopping people. All right. So let's, let's, this is going to take some explanation. First of all, you got the Large Hadron Collider, which is a particle accelerator. It's going to be an atom smasher, essentially. Really, it's you know, a particle smasher. Yeah, 15 years, $9 billion. Yeah, it's been, we've been it's waiting been for it to be. for a long time. We've been waiting for it to, to come online for a while now. It was supposed to be online last year, and then some stuff went wrong, and it got mm. delayed. Delayed, so, really? Yeah. So one of the things the Large Hadron Collider is possibly looking for, just one of the many things that the scientists are looking for using this machine, is something called the Higgs boson particle. It's also sometimes referred to as the God particle, which Mm -hmm. I think is absolutely ridiculous, but there you go. Now, the Higgs boson particle uh, is a theoretical particle. We do not know if it actually exists. It's It's completely hypothetical. It's been theorized as the the thing in the universe that would explain why stuff has mass. Because if you look at the Big Bang Theory, this is really getting complica- complicated, but if you look at the Big Bang Theory, before, just when, when the universe came into being, that, that first instant, there was no such thing as mass. It was this kind of combination of energy and mass that then split. So then you had... Energy and you had mass. The Higgs boson particle would be the theoretical particle that would explain why that mass has mass. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing they hope to find by uh, using this particle accelerator because it, it, in a way, is simulating the events that immediately followed the Big Bang. Right. On a very, very, very tiny scale. And this is all happening in less than a second. I mean, it's it's so fast that it's, Difficult for me to even imagine. Right. So anyway, two physicists, uh, Dr. Holger Nielsen and Dr. Masao uh, Ninomiya, have proposed that the Higgs boson particle itself, that nature itself has sent the Higgs boson particle back in time and sabotaged the Large Hadron Collider. Because the On large, purpose. Yes, because the Large Hadron Collider has broken down a couple of times. The idea here is that nature itself is so abhorrent of the Higgs boson particle that were you to create one, they, there would be horrible consequences. So before you can create one, nature is sending stuff back in time to stop the creation to prevent horrible catastrophe. Okay, now here's my problem with this. First okay. of all, it's suggesting there's some sort of sentient aspect to the Higgs boson particle. Right. Which, again, is just theoretical. We don't even know it exists, and we're already giving it sentience. Well, you know, it's not listed in the uh, in the white pages. Secondly, it's suggesting that time travel back in time is possible, something that right now we do not believe is actually possible. We think that if, the, if time travel is possible, you can only do it going forward, not backward. Right. Thirdly, uh-huh. okay, so if you are given 
the choice between saying, all right, you've got the world's most complex, huge machine with lots and lots and lots of parts, all from different manufacturers, all put together, and it's insanely complex. Is it more likely that one little part of that could break, thus screwing up the the project? Or is it more likely to say that some particle that gained sentience traveled back in time and stopped it? Knowing human beings, I say that the breaking part is more likely. Occam's razor demands that we say, hey, guys, this is a really complex machine. I can't make sure that my car will run two months in a row. We're talking about a machine that's orders of magnitude more complex than a vehicle. You know, if you want to know, if you want to keep up to date on what's going on uh, with the LHC, you can always check out has the LHC destroyed the earth dot com and it will let you know. What does it say right now? No. Okay, good. <laughs> also, I think if you really want to destroy the Earth, you would need a Q36 space modulator. Where was the Earth-shattering kaboom? Um, so, <laughs> the, the, yeah, there, yeah, there's the, LHC also, there's the theory that they'll create a black hole and it'll destroy the Earth. Any black hole that would be created in the LHC would be so incredibly tiny and would last for such a brief moment of time that it would not affect anything, really. Uh, and the LHC does not do anything that isn't already happening everywhere in the universe right now. Mm-hmm. Like, it's happening everywhere. It's just that in the LHC, it's under controlled conditions that it can be observed and measured. Right. All right, I'm 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 good with that. Now I'm I'm done with that. Did you wanna Did you wanna pick the next one or shall I? No, I just uh, I was thinking that uh, you know if they did, if we did find a Q36 space modulator, it would require the presence of aliens. Ah, I think I see where you're going with this one. Indeed. Are we Are we taking a little trip out west? Yes, to, to Nevada. To Nevada. Yes. So, ladies and gentlemen, maybe you've heard of a top secret location called Area 51. First of all, Area 51 does exist. All right, that's not a conspiracy. That it it is a it is an actual location, although the government doesn't necessarily refer to it as that. Oh, that would be the Atomic Energy Commission Nevada test site. Yeah, that they they were the ones who came up with the idea of calling it Area 51, and there are different theories about why that is. The main one being marketing. <laughs> the main one being that <laughs> they had they had marked out land in a grid. For testing nuclear bombs, and they gave each grid a number, mm-hmm. uh, each square of the grid a number. And uh, Area 51 happens to be adjacent to Area 15, so it could just be that the number itself has been flipped, and that's why it's called Area 51. It's usually referred to as Groom Lake, but it has lots of other different names as well. Um, and it E14, <laughs> bingo. It it tends to be it tends to be uh, uh it tends to f- figure fairly highly in the Ufology, ufology, and alien conspiracy theory uh, uh, circles. Yes, of course, because they're not testing nuclear weapons; they are, you know, dissecting aliens. Right. I saw the alien autopsy TV show. So, yeah, this often has a lot to uh, is tied in with Roswell, which, by the way, is nowhere near Groom Lake. Well, I mean, it's closer than say, you know, Atlanta. <laughs> you know, it's closer than yeah, it's closer than Georgia, but it's not it's not nearby. Um, but yeah, there there are a lot of people who say, well, there's strange lights that would be flying over Area 51. Mm-hmm. And it's probably alien technology, and the the United States is testing different craft that they 
they manage to confiscate from aliens. And- well, you know, they've got hangars that they can, uh, you know, wheel aircraft into should a satellite fly over. Yes, and that is true because Area 51 is a, a testing location. It's where the Air Force tests out various secret projects that are going to eventually possibly become actual equipment that the the United States depends upon for military purposes. Right. So lots of uh, of aircraft got their like stealth bomber got their start in facilities like Groom Lake or Area 51. This was where the tests were conducted, it's where uh, planes were built and, and flown. Um, it's a no-fly zone, even for the Air Force, because it's meant to keep secrecy at the highest levels. Um, it's actually, it? from what I heard, it's not even used that much anymore because they've moved a lot of their operations to Colorado now. But uh, Colorado Rocky Mountain High. Yeah. But it's not a uh, it's not a, a home for aliens. It's a home for top secret, cutting edge technology aircraft, um, but terrestrially derived aircraft. Yeah. Well, I mean, if it were a home for aliens, then they wouldn't be aliens anymore, right? No. So I'm just saying. Fine. Yes. <laughs> People from other planets have visited us, gained a visa, and became citizens. <laughs> Get a green card. Yeah, it's, someone's been watching too much Third Rock. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so Area 51, there are a lot of conspiracy theories around it. And part of it is because the area does have such a reputation for secrecy. And it's, it's a well-earned reputation because the government really does protect the stuff that's going on there because it's top secret. It's yeah. not, but it's not necessarily related to aliens. It's just related to technologies they don't want the rest of the world to know about before they get a chance to, you know, because then you would lose the edge, yeah. right? And in, in whatever arms race you're currently pursuing, or if you just want to think of it another way, in in an effort to keep the country safe. Right. Of course, the uh, Soviets took pictures of it from overhead in 1988. Right. And, and, you know, you can go look at it right now on Google Maps or yeah. Google Earth or, yeah. you know, I mean, actually see an, an up-close picture of like it. Like I said, it's, it's, it's a legitimate place. And there are other things that have happened there that... Uh, relate to conspiracy theories. There was this whole element of destroying certain um, materials, which ended up being carcinogenic and and dangerous. And several employees came down with various illnesses and ailments and and sued the government. Alien flu. <sighs> perfectly, <laughs> perfectly mundane diseases caused by hazardous materials being burned in their in their proximity. So. The problem was that because everything was under top secret uh, orders, it was very difficult to pursue a legal claim against the government uh, saying that, you know, essentially the government caused my illness. In some cases, in many cases, in fact, people died as a result of this. Yeah. And um, and there was a a real struggle in the government, uh, a, a debate on what was more important, keeping all this secret or revealing certain information because people were dying. And um, some of it, that was about when when some of the information was actually declassified. Not all of it, by any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. But enough of it to kind of sort of admit that there was a facility there. Because up to that point, there was no admission whatsoever. I mean, there was a physical facility there that you could take pictures of and everything if people didn't run you off the property before you got a chance to, to snap a photo. But – the government consistently denied the presence of any facility there for many, many years. Right. right. Nothing to see here. Exactly. 
So you want to, hey, how about another government thing? Okay. Hey, did you know that CIA is running Facebook? Of course they are. Yeah. No, they're not. Or at least there's no proof. There's a, a rumor going around the internet, actually it's been around for a couple of years, that the CIA is somehow involved in gathering information using Facebook as the the, the front mm-hmm. for getting as much personal information about people as it possibly can. The way the theory goes is that Facebook got some uh, venture capital funding uh, from various sources. In its second round of venture capital funding, it received money from a company called Excel Partners, uh, which was managed by a man named James Breyer. Oh. James Breyer also sat on a board called National Venture Capital Association, which ha- happened to have on the board a man by the name of Gilman Louie. Now, Louie had sat on the board of a company called NQTEL, which was a venture capital firm established by the CIA. Aha. Uh-huh. So you've got a guy who sat on a VC firm for the CIA uh, who happens to also sit on a board that this other guy sits on, who happens to also be on a board that then funds Facebook. So somehow this series of connections means that CIA has become involved in Facebook. I don't buy it. It just, it's venture capital funds exist for one purpose mainly, which is to, to make money. Yeah. And they, they invest in ventures that they think are going to be successful. Right. I think the connection seems pretty tenuous. Yeah. But I am concerned because I didn't hear Kevin Bacon's name mentioned once. He has a Facebook page. Um, or at least there's a fan page. <laughs> Aha. Kevin Bacon. See, there you go. There you go. Now, now that's it all the connection. Sense. It all falls into place. <laughs> um, there are other connections as well. I, I'm sure I'm going to get listener mail about this. There are other connections as well that, that can, that are concerning because it's people who have obviously been involved in various functions that include things like data mining. I mean, it's the stuff that they've been involved in really does link back to get, gathering information for intelligence purposes. Well, uh, you know, Facebook is renowned for its ability to collect information. That's exactly. why marketers love See, it. That's the thing, though. That's the thing is because of that, it's easy to draw those connections, right? Because mm-hmm. you say, okay, well, Facebook's very good at gathering information. It's receiving funds from a person who also sat on a board that was uh, sat on by people who were interested in gathering information. That's enough of a connection for some people to say that there's a conspiracy. For right. me, there needs to be a little more proof than that. Uh, I could I could definitely see why the concern would pop up, but I don't necessarily jump to that conclusion. So just because there's a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy, that, that doesn't tie it all together for yeah, you? Yeah, I know a lot of guys who know guys, and it doesn't make me any sort of mastermind. I think most people would well, agree. that's for sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, you left that one open. People, people who know me, they'll be like, well... There goes that theory. Yeah, because, you know, you never, I always put blue in the second spot and you never get that. That was a oh, very a mastermind lame joke. <laughs> very lame I don't even get joke. the white peg. <laughs> uh, I used to play that game too. So, uh, for those of you that we lost, let's, uh, let's, do you got anything else? Do you have any other conspiracy theories? Um, I have, I have one other one I can well, bring up. We have tons of conspiracy theories. Sure. Though. I think we're going to have to do another one of these. Yeah. You know what? I agree. Let, this will just be conspiracy, you know, tech conspiracy theories one. Okay. And then we will do a series of them. Uh, some of these you could probably do a full podcast on like area 51 could be a series of podcasts, but that really oh, sure. wouldn't be what we would talk about. I mean, that's not really our, no, our that's, place. No, not really. I wonder if we could. 
You know what? I, I bet stuff they don't want you to know could do something about Area 51. Yes, but we have to find a way to contact them. Right. Yeah, the problem is that now that Ben uh, is kind of masterminding things like that, he's really difficult to track down. Like, he changed his name and his face. I think he wears a dress. Actually, he did that before. <laughs> But uh, he's really gotten better at coordinating now. Belt and pumps? Fabulous. All right, all right. Well, that wraps up this conversation about it. We will have another one in the near future. And uh, I guess that leads us to listener mail. And this listener mail comes from Roland O. He put the O in parentheses. Ah. Hey, Josh and Chuck. Ha ha, just kidding. Hi, Chris and Jonathan. Very nice. Just wanted to say I love your podcast, and you two are really good at what you do. I really enjoyed your How Podcasting Works podcast. Great info, and you have helped me select some microphones to buy, AKG. If it's not too much trouble, could you tell me if your mics could also double for recording music? More specifically, loud music. Guitar and drums with lots of distortion. Maybe your producer, Matt, knows. I'm not so good with decoding the specs on certain things. Anyway, great job and keep up the good work. Thanks, Roland O. P.S. I noticed HowStuffWorks.com has moved to a mobile browser for smartphones. Possibly another podcasting topic. I thought I would throw this one over to Chris, as Chris is a rock and roll legend. <laughs> In my own mind, perhaps. Go for it. Now, um, uh, yeah, I just just to be on the safe side, actually, uh, Tyler's doing our podcast day. We have a number of folks who produce with us. Um, and uh, just as a matter of confirmation, and yes, you probably could use these microphones to, to record loud music um, if you'd like to. Um, when I've gone into the studio in the past, a lot of times it takes sort of some trial and error. Uh, you're you're going to want to do some testing, some uh, some line checks and, and mic checks to make sure that you're not overwhelming those mics, depending on the kind of equipment that you got on the other end to capture the, the sound. Uh, you may end up needing baffles uh, because, you know, I'm, being a drummer, I've actually tried to record drums straight into a microphone and it basically just distorts it to the point of non-recognition. Although it kind of sounds that... Like it might be something that uh, already down your alley, uh, but yes, these are these are very nice mics uh, that we use here, and um, I think they would probably work fine. Although, uh, you know, your mileage may vary. Some restrictions apply. Offer not valid in all fifty states. You might want to try it out and see how it goes. Um, so, um, you know, give it a try. Cool. All right. Well, thanks, Roland O. If any of you have any questions, comments, concerns, suggestions for podcasts, that kind of thing, you can email us. Our email address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com. Remember, we have our live show every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Eastern. You can find that on the blogs at howstuffworks.com. Just look on the right-hand side. You'll see the links there. And Chris and I will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. And be sure to check out the new Tech Stuff blog, now on the HowStuffWorks homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, 
With SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com.